When you find a turtle on top of a fence post, you know something? It didn't get there by itself. We're in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Yeah, he just got blown up there. Outside force, though, right? <laughs> when you find a dead sinner, uh, someone who is a rebel against God, someone who is bound for the wrath of God, and all of a sudden you see that he is alive and he's um, pursuing God, he's in love with Him, and he is just trusting uh, everything to the Lord Himself. Uh, peace with God and everything else. Wanting to do His will. And you know what? You know that He didn't get there at the top of the fence by Himself. God did that, right? Climbing it uh, Himself. He could not have done it. And um, as we get into this uh, this great text, 8 through 10, everybody knows this. Every Christian should know this. Uh, this would be one of the first memory verses that anybody would uh, want to uh, get into. I think in this text here, we have the what could be called the manifesto of the Protestant Reformation right here. Perhaps maybe the... Uh, I guess you could say the Protestant Reformation could be the greatest, most... Maybe the greatest moment outside of um, the Lord's ascension and and uh, as far as what has happened to the church, as far as the impact that has made, uh, going back to the early days of the church, then you have the Reformation. It, and really what it was is it was a rediscovery of God's grace. And, of course, we call this tonight sola gratia, grace alone. That's what it's emphasizing. You'll also see faith there, sola fide, by, by faith alone. Uh, so anyway, uh, when you look at all the great revivals in the history of the church, it's really involved the rediscovery of grace because the church has been known to lose that great doctrine and mankind goes down down the tubes and they uh, are always kind of crediting them themselves. Time and time again, that's what's been happening. And so grace is lost. And it's, it becomes buried, uh, either in, in indifference or self-confidence, false teaching, what have you. That's that's the way it's always been. And of course, as we'll we'll look, uh, well, we can look into it right now. If you go back to the days of Israel, the same thing happened there. Uh, there's always a cooperation that man wants between God and man. God does this, I do this, and man ultimately plays the decisive role. Well, we know what happened in the history of Israel. It happened over and over and over again. And uh, when Jesus came on the scene, the same thing was happening. When you have the Pharisees and their self-righteousness, not depending on uh, the grace uh, alone. And uh, so then when you come to the time of Paul, he has the same uh, thing uh, that he runs into. And he was one of those too, wasn't he? He was very self-righteous. If anybody... Uh, was ever going to get in on works, it was going to be Paul. But he found out that human achievement and merit was not uh, it at all. That's what he had been raised up in. That's what he was taught in Judaism. So whether it be Israel, whether it be uh, at the time of Christ, whether it be at the time of Paul, uh, until he became a Christian himself, he didn't understand it. And that's what went through the church for 
we can say at least uh, a thousand years uh, where the impression of a works-based salvation continued to build and build till the time of the Reformation, then uh, you have an explosion there and people rediscover this grace. Anyway, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we uh, get ready to enter into this super section that uh, the Lord has for us. Father, we thank You for Your great grace as we look in tonight again what uh, You did in uh, salvation for us. Uh, what an incredible thought. And even though it's a very familiar section, may we not ever take it for granted and that we would go in to this section with fear and trembling, realizing where we were at, especially what you described in the first three verses of Ephesians 2. And now we have seen what uh, you have done uh, to us and for us, and uh, we are so thankful for that. And uh, we always want to continue to have that because uh, man's flesh would like to go back to the other way and, and give credit uh, to take merit uh, and be able to uh, show that we have done something. And that's the way that um, the church has always had to battle that kind of thought. And uh, we just pray for your guidance and your direction by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, prior to that Reformation, of course, the, basically it was the, the Roman church. And, um, of course, you have the, uh, the Greek uh, Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox, and it really was a theology that, in some way, man played a pretty significant part in having salvation, and he was his own savior in a sense. Uh, they never put it that way, but that was kind of the substance of what it was about. Uh, what what they're really saying is the same thing that many people say today: is that God makes it possible that people can be saved. He does his job, but now he puts it out there, and if only they will do this, if only they will have something to add to that. Like I said, if you want to look back at the heresies of the Old Testament time period, the prophets of the Old Testament protested against that kind of theology. Jesus protested against that theology, and he was killed for it. Paul came to protest, and he was persecuted and finally killed for it, as well as um, most of the rest of the apostles. The reformers protested uh, against that kind of theology. And, of course, you think of uh, Luther, who stands out so much, and then later on uh, the Calvins and the Zwinglies and through the Puritan age all the way up through Spurgeon. And, and today, uh, here we are, and we're fighting against that same kind of battle. Uh, the theology of the natural human heart wants to rear its ugly head constantly and it's an affront uh, to a very gracious God, isn't it? And what He has done. And that's where we're at. Um, the Reformation has come a long way, but it always has to be reforming. Uh, semper reformandi, always reforming. Or we'll always go back to the human way of thinking. Self-confidence. Uh, is a way to maybe explain it. I think men, women, humankind, they love themselves. They love themselves so deeply. <laughs> and uh, salvation by works then really explains you know, how they can get to God. Anyway, let's read this uh, great section. 
For by grace, there's that great word, isn't it? You have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And when you take this section and tie it together with where we have been, all the way through chapter 1, or you can start in chapter 2 if you like, and you'll see what we once were, and then verse 4, but God, and He made us alive together, and He has put us into the heavenly places. And then we looked at last week just just an incredible thought about the exceeding riches of His grace that He has uh, toward us in Christ, that He will put us on display uh, despite what we once were. And He gets all the credit. And, of course, as as He sums all that up, He says in verse 8, For, here's the reason, or here's where it comes up to, for by grace you've been saved. He's already said that in verse 5, didn't he? He couldn't wait. It was like he was going there, but he had something else to finish, but he had to put it in. And you might have it there in um, uh, parentheses. Um, in verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You'll notice that? So we've already come across that line, haven't we? And then he went ahead and finished that out. And then he comes right back in verse 8 and uh, makes that statement again that explains it much further. Now, there are five um, parts to this basis of our salvation. It's just all outlined right here in 8 through 10. You can break it up pretty easy. It starts off with, by grace. Um, This is the basis of our salvation. It starts off with grace. And then, of course, we'll have the aspect of of, um, uh, faith, through faith, and then the divine gift, and then not of works, no boasting, and it's God's workmanship. So we can kind of divide it up that way. And Paul uses a great argument just in these three verses. If one didn't have any other verses to deal with, I think it makes a high statement. And if people who memorize these verses would really understand to the extent of what all that means, what does grace really mean, he he knocks out everyone and shows them you were totally helpless in what God did. Um, God declares, I think right here, He owes us nothing. And I think a good question, I'm thinking about asking it one of these days. I'll ask it here tonight, see what you think. Does God reward us with salvation? Oh, got some strange looks on that one. He doesn't, does He? Because that would be, there were a merit would be in hand at that time. That would be something that we deserved. He owed that to us. He's giving us a reward or for something that we have done. Uh, and so if it depends upon us believing, if it depends upon that, we have done something. And Paul will ex- explain this. Um, God is declaring that salvation is not a reward or recompense but it's an unmixed grace. That comes from John Calvin. It's an unmixed grace. I think anything else is a mixed grace. Mostly God's grace, 99% God's grace, 
but some of us. Now, we talk about this. We've talked about it so much. But I guess this is the sunum bonum passage. It's dealing with grace, isn't it? So here we go. <laughs> we kind of knew that uh, that's kind of where this is heading. If you were to look back at uh, Roman Catholicism, and yeah, Bill. Yeah, I was getting ready to ask a question about that. Um, is the reason, is one of the reasons why this grace remained undiscovered, if you will, for so many years, was because people didn't read the Bible for themselves, and they had, and it wasn't in their own language, and it's pretty clear that if you're being led to read the scriptures, that you know. That you'll find what you need to know and what God wants you to know. I mean, I I find that when talking with you know with, with new believers and people that you know don't completely understand you know either how to live their lives or the or the do's and don'ts, even though we're saved by grace, is that when you start giving them lists, now you need to do this, you need to not do this, you need to do this, you need to not do this. I always tell them, you know, God's word tells you by reading it and knowing it tells you what to do and what not to do. Once I start telling you what to do and what not to do, it becomes I'm the boss instead of God's word being the boss. That sounds like Pharisaism. Yeah, well, but, I, but you know, because I mean, coming from a Roman Catholic background, it seemed to me, you know, in coming out of it, that it was all about power. That that before the Reformation, it was all about the power of the of the church over people to get them to do what they wanted them to do. To come to church. To pay money, right? Follow the money. <laughs> We've heard that term tonight. Haven't we? Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, to control the people. I mean, if you've got, you know, that, that was the purpose of the uh, government being, you know, hand in hand with the church, or the same as the church. And the, it was all about control, it was all about power. And that control is still here today. Um, yeah, let's hope that our government doesn't figure that out. <laughs> government and the church, it for a long time period, a millennium almost, uh, was quite a powerful thing in Europe, wasn't it? And that, my friends, is what separation of church and state means. <laughs> that means the government doesn't tell you what you were, how you worship. Yeah. And so there arises the problem, doesn't it? Um, so the, let's see the the uh, the uh, mass right was in the R I T E right was Latin, correct? All given in Latin. Yep. So a person would would have to know that if they were going to know what kind of was being said there, and then of course. Yeah, I don't think the common folk had access to scriptures, per se. Not unless they really, really wanted it. And, of course, most of the ones that really wanted it, they would go to the schools. And, uh, of course, you would become a priest or a monk. Right. Even even into recent times, the the Catholic Church didn't want the Christians reading the Bible. They made their own little books for the priests. I think you could go back to um, even the time of uh, Augustine. By the time you get to 4th and 5th century, the, the Roman church 
was definitely already developing. It added on as it went went through there. Of course, there there was basically a, the access of uh, Old Testament, New Testament uh, to the church. Uh, I don't think every family owned a Bible like we uh, do today. But um, as time went on, um, I think the people were held back from it more and more. I think Latin was a common language at the time, and a lot of people probably spoke that, especially if you were from um, the Roman uh, territory. You would probably know that. But as it went on into Europe, your average person didn't know Latin. If you don't know Latin, that and that's what, for the most part in that area, where the Bible would have been written. And um, I think we're probably talking, by the time it gets to even 700, 800, 900, 1000 AD, uh, less and less do the people have access to that word. The only way they can hear it is uh, at church, and what you hear is some language that you don't understand. Uh, And things developed even more so. They kept bringing in some of the pagan ideas and mixed it in. Do you know what date the Council of Trent was? Trent was uh, 15... um, You're talking right... Because of the Reformation, you're talking the Counter-Reformation. Was it 15... I'm taking a stab. 1536? I don't know. Don't uh, quote me on that. I need to look at that. I don't know when exactly that was. But they definitely laid down what they believed, and it was... It was a counter-reformation against what was happening. They had to do something. Um, the Roman Catholics, they accused the grace-oriented people, the churches that were arising and, and have been even up to this time, as monomania or uh, one-sidedness. They said, okay, sola fide, sola uh, gratia, like we're talking about here, sola Christus. Um, sola Scriptura, Soli Deo Gloria. All of those, they said, okay, that's fine, uh, but let's have balance. Let's let's be moderate here. Uh, yes, faith is important. Would the Catholic Church say that faith is not important? Well, of course it is, but not alone. Um, you know, faith is important, but let's don't forget works. Okay? Surely the Bible is important. Yes, they would say, yes, it is, but traditions of the church are important too along with it well surely grace is important to the catholic church well absolutely it is but don't think that we're minimizing grace they're saying here but let's not forget about human effort and so you can see why the solas came up whenever they say that we don't need anything but god's grace we can't add to that um so anyway, this is the kind of thing that, that Paul was arguing back at the time whenever there was uh, Judaism, for instance, that was going on and, and the human effort. Uh, let's hear what B.B. Warfield said on this. I'll read a few things here. There's often a confusion between redemption itself, which is objective. Okay, redemption is objective. He's going to use objective and subjective. You guys know what objective is and subjective? Objective is like a truth, something that is like the Word of God. Subjective is something that is not necessarily wrong, but it's dealing with myself. But if we judge things by ourselves or by the human condition, we might be looking at the wrong standard, right? 
But anyway, he says, redemption is objective and it takes place outside of us. There is an outside force, that being God, with its subjective effects, which takes place in us. Subjective is okay. Whether the, if you call that um, um, sanctification, where God is working in us, and are wrought in us gradually and in a definite order, a gradual sanctification. Ideally, all of Christ's children were saved before the foundation of the world. Okay, ideally, and this is this is where God had put this. We were saved before the foundation. When they were set upon God's love and given by the Father to the Son to be saved by Him. Objectively, they were saved when Christ died for them on the tree, purchasing them to Himself by His own precious blood. This salvation was made their personal possession in principle when they were regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So that's in time and space when it happens. So now the principle of the very possession of this actually happens. It was made over to them judicially when they believed in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit thus given them, but it is completed in a full effects whenever they stand before God, fully sanctified, clothed in glorified bodies before the throne of God for the inheritance of the saints in light. Here you perceive is a process. But it's all started. It's all ended. God does it and that's what Warfield is putting out here. It's starting, uh, it starts from outside of us, even though there's an inward working in us. So I can say, if you look at this passage that we're dealing with, and Paul introduces this to people who have understood something differently, you know that he has to make every point very clear, very concise, very precise, and his arguments are something that I don't think anybody can contradict. And as he keeps building it up, and you see it here in Ephesians, or if you want to take the book of Romans, what an artist he was in putting all this together. And the, the world was turned upside down as the apostles brought forth the truth of the gospel. And so Paul discovered that salvation was by grace alone, and, and it, just, it just floored him. You know, and it uh, swept him away, and of course he couldn't keep from bringing that gospel truth out. Well, Martin Luther comes along, uh, 1,500 years later, and he discovers that salvation by grace alone. Millions of people, millions and millions of lives have been changed because of that um, Protestant Reformation, this, this discovery that was always right here, right in the Word of God. Do you see how privileged we've been as we've been able to open up the Word through the Holy Spirit and to be able to understand these truths? And this goes against the grain of people, even though people know these verses up and down. You, you, you talk to uh, almost any Christian and it says, yeah, for by grace you're saved through faith. And you can ask them, do you believe that? Well, of course. Um, God comes in, makes an, a dead person alive. That's, what, a, what a plan. What a, what a plan. Divine power. What are we saved from? Well, according to verse 1, spiritual death, right? We were dead. We were saved from rebellion. We would continue to rebel against God, living a life that would go totally against Him. We were saved from our own desires. All the things that we would like to do, we're saved from some of those things that would destroy us. We're saved from the evil one. We're saved from who else? God Himself. 
You say, what do you mean? Matter of fact, Sproul has a book called Saved from What? And ultimately, it's going to emphasize that we've been saved from God. We've been saved from falling into the hands of an angry God. Sound like Jonathan Edwards? He took that out of Hebrews. From falling into the awesome and, and just God when we would not have a defense. There is no lawyer, no defense attorney in the whole world who would ever take our case into the courtroom and be able to win that. This would not happen. So we've not only been saved from sin and from ourselves and from spiritual death and slavery that we're in, but we've been saved from falling into the hands of the living God, as Hebrews says, with, uh, without a defense at that. We've been saved from God and His just judgment. And you know what? Ligon Duncan says this. The Apostle Paul knows that if you don't understand that, what we just have just talked about, if you don't understand that, and if you don't believe that, nothing else that Paul says is going to make any sense. If you don't get that one right, nothing is going to make sense. I think he's got a pretty good point there. Nothing else really matters. Maybe other things might make some sense in a logical way, but in a human way, but to really know who God is and how He operates, it won't. That is so central, so key. Okay, for by grace you have been saved. We've used those words. I didn't define grace, but I think you guys know what grace is. Saved, we talked about that. Through faith. This is our second second point here and found in verse 8. Through faith. Then we'd have to explain, well, what is faith? Yeah, Bill. Um, I have the MacArthur Study Bible. I grabbed around one when I left the house because I was doing this. Um, it is, um, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. It, it counts as both, right? The faith and the grace are both gifts. Yeah, that's what we're going to get into. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, well, that's that's the next. That's what logically I think we'd be asking. What, which one is it? What is it? And that's what our conclusion is, is going to be. But well, in in our line of thinking, that's what we'd be saying, right? Okay. And so he brings us up. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That you know, not yourselves. It is the gift of God. And we're going to say, okay, what about the word that? And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Well, what is a gift of God? Or what is the that there? <laughs> the that. And we'll get into that when we get into the word gift. That's okay. That Yeah, that, that'll that work too. And this yeah. is not your only doing it as a gift of God. Yeah. And either way you look at it, and there are a lot of different, uh, there's basically two schools of thought, and two schools of thought in the Reformed theology. It doesn't matter. We still win. Either way, they, they, they work. Uh, you don't have to um, um, lose or win in this situation. You, you win, win. Because that's really what it's coming down to. Yeah. We also, you know, are, we, it would also be good to note that we are not building an entire theology based on one verse here as well. There's plenty of other scriptures. Exactly. Exactly. We got look where we've been already, right? I think this is probably why a lot of people would have liked to avoid the Book of Ephesians because <laughs> it's too crystal clear. 
what is faith? Well, we we've always you know we know what faith is, but faith is we define it as also not only trusting in God, but it's an instrument that God has given us. That's through which this gift or grace comes to us. How does it get to us? It's through an instrument, or a, a lot in Reformed theology will say it's a channel. Okay, it's, a, it's an instrument or it's a channel through which salvation comes to me. We all got salvation because it was channeled through faith. So it, it's grace alone, and if we bring nothing but the faith that has been given to us, that strips us completely of any merit or any credit that we would have, and it means salvation is not from us because faith was given to us. Faith doesn't even save. I think we've talked about that before. It doesn't even say that it saves right here. We've been saved um, by grace, for by grace you've been saved, through this instrument of faith. It is important, very important. You must have faith, but it's not the word that would say that's how we're saved. Uh, Faith brings an empty man to God. He's granted faith, he's empty, that he may be filled with God's blessings. Uh, faith is a gift. Go to Second Peter. Second Peter, uh, very first verse in Second Peter. This is Peter writing, and Peter walked with Jesus, and I'm sure that uh, this was a difficult doctrine to him. And once he understood it, he was uh, amazed. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I got um, the MacArthur Study Bible right here, and it says it's often translated received and can mean attaining by divine will. Um, And Peter here is emphasizing salvation, and he goes on to say that it came purely from God's grace, uh, this uh, obtained. So that's the definition of the obtaining, especially with the text. You know, First Peter is a really good one, too, if you ever want to um, use that. I think it's in... Nah. Never mind. I don't want to be searching for it. Anyway... Second Peter is good enough for the moment. Um, go to Philippians. Ephesians and then Philippians. Right? Philippians 1.29. This is uh, dealing with faith. Faith is something that is given. In Peter it says we obtained it, but it, it, we were attained because it was the divine will. It was God's will that we would have that. It would be in our possession that he gave it to us. Philippians is even more um, up front. For you has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, pistuo is the word for belief or faith, same word, but also to suffer His sake. But the key uh, phrase there is it's been granted. It's been given to us. It's uh, something that is a gift. Well, when we go back to Acts 3, early in the church days, and in Acts 3.16... We get a sermon that is preached in Solomon's portico. You have Peter and John there. And guess what they say very early on. And his name, 
through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith, he's already said faith, faith in his name, which comes through him, like that, has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. There he's giving the gospel and he says, you have to have faith in his name. And then he comes on and defines that further, the faith which comes through him. So it's, it's granted, it's a gift. Faith is a gift. Sola fide, by faith alone, not works. But if you are, if you do have faith, the faith doesn't stand alone though either, does it? And of course, that's why we have verse 10, which is dealing with the works. So, is salvation a reward because we have faith? That's the question. That's the question I'd love to ask an Arminian. Is salvation a reward because we have faith? Because they'll say, yeah, but you have to believe. Well, yeah, but why would you believe? Right? Um, do we also have a passage that, and, oh, I get confused on the Gospels, where the, where the guy says to um, Jesus, help me with my unbelief. Hmm. I mean, you know. Yeah, I believe. Right. Help. Yeah, he knew that it it came from him. Uh, it came from Christ. Yeah. Does faith cause our salvation? There's another question to ask. One. It doesn't cause our salvation, does it? You would think it would, but if it does, then that means. We're rewarded for it. But it's through faith. It is through that instrument. If people could grasp that, it would be helpful. But um, Well, here's a controversy. Here's where an Arminian has to do a little twisting because they know they're in trouble with this section. So they will point to the Greek in it, which they really better not do because it's going to get them deeper in a hole. What we're going to ask is what Bill asked. What's the gift? Is it faith or grace? Or is it salvation? What exactly is the gift of God in verse 8? Or uh, Sam Storms uh, did a pretty good word study on that. I'll give you a little point of what he says here. Arminians have often appealed to a point of Greek grammar that they believe makes it impossible for faith to be the gift. Now, we've looked at other verses, haven't we? It's not only here where faith is a gift that we're proposing to be part of it, but there are other verses to show that faith is granted to us. But anyway, they will take this verse and say, well, faith is not the gift because the word faith in the Greek grammar is feminine. Okay? And you're going, what? We're going to get into grammar here for a moment, and this you know, might get a little tricky, but as far as the gender is concerned, and you take that pronoun that, or maybe in Penny's version there, this, okay? Um, and that not of yourselves, right? And that not of yourselves is neuter. So now you have the feminine faith versus the neuter of that, or this, and they say because one's neuter and one's feminine, that can't be. Well, in Greek grammar, yes, it can be but they're saying it can't. Had Paul intended to describe faith as the gift, he would have used the feminine form of the pronoun. That's what they're saying. So if faith is a gift, then the pronoun would have been feminine too. What does that refer to? 
what is the gift of God? That be the case. Well, some point, well, it's grace is what it is. Grace is the gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And they'll say, well, it's grace. Well, Sam Storms goes on to say this. The word grace, like faith, okay, we have faith that was feminine in the gender. Well, guess what grace is? It's also feminine. Uh, They don't tell you about that. And by the way, it's further away in the Greek structure than the word faith. You say, well, what's going on here? Well, if that, which is not of ourselves, right, the that, not of ourselves, cannot refer to faith, it sure can't refer to grace because they're both feminine, whereas that is, the word that is what? Neuter? Uh, They have a problem. So what is Paul saying? What is the antecedent of that? Sam Storms goes on to say this, and I don't have any problem with this either. Um, Salvation in its totality, taking the faith, taking the grace, taking everything of salvation, and it flows out of God's grace, becomes ours through faith. So from beginning to end, from the very inception all the way to the, the consummation, all the way to the time that we are glorified. Salvation is a gift of God. And that's how Storm says it. What did Calvin say? Uh, Well, you'd think he would have said faith, wouldn't you, is a gift. Well, actually, he didn't. And I can't remember whether he said it was grace or whether it was salvation. I tend to lean it was salvation. I'm not even pressing that. Um, Others state that... um, it refers to the nearest noun, and it means faith. Faith is a gift. I definitely say faith is a gift. I would definitely say, well, grace is a gift. Grace is saying the same thing there. Grace, gift, charis. It's the same. Grace is grace. <laughs> grace is a gift. Gift is a gift. Um, so um, it's a small point because either way, they all work whether it be salvation is a gift of, from God. I think even the Arminians have to agree with that. But they sure have the problem if it means faith, and it certainly can be. Uh, and I think it's included in the this here. Uh, the origin of our faith in Christ out of our hands, it's, it's, it's put into God's hands, isn't it? And uh, it's provided by God and Christ. Uh, it's appropriated because... We'll be given that channel of faith. I think if, if somebody is taught from the get-go that uh, you know about matters like this out of the Bible, and they're set, and then taught verses like "Your faith has healed you" or something like that, you know, the kind of language there is always reinforcing the fact that we did something because it was our faith that healed us. You know, Jesus says that to many, many different people. Your faith is made you well. Your faith is healed. You know, and it's like a, you don't understand that first we didn't have that faith unless it was given to us. It's like we don't have sight or air to breathe or anything unless it's given to us hmm. first. And, and so it becomes ours by His giving it to us. Then he, you know, brings it to our 
reality or whatever, you know. And so when he's saying your faith has made you whole, he's God saying, has made you whole. He's saying that he made them whole. Yeah. Uh, but because of the way the language is in, in the scriptures, and you know, I don't doubt that's really what Jesus said. Because from God's point of view, you think, yeah. And it took the belief of that person, didn't it? Yeah, you know. But where did it come from? But it's like you know, if we're if if we're not uh, prepared for that, to know that um, these things are all gifts from God to begin with. You know, in the beginning, God in everything. In the beginning, God. Okay. Now we can begin to understand that when there's a statement in the Bible where Jesus says, "You know, who is God?" says, "Your faith has healed you." We can say, "Thank you for that faith, Lord." You know, but I sure didn't have it. Yeah. Oh, and, and faith is a God thing. It's not our. It's not in. But us. God. Right. Yeah. And grace. You know, all those things. They don't belong to mankind. That's right. And and he doesn't. Paul said that phrase right there. I think it just explains everything. What does it say? And that not of yourselves. <coughs> Nothing came from you. To get this, not of yourselves. Yeah. I think people will quote, "For by grace you're saved through faith." Mm-hmm. It's a gift of God, and they might eliminate that little phrase, "That not of yourselves." And I think that's the key point there, because yeah. that's just what you're saying. Yeah. There. It's, just, it's not of it's ourselves. Really how, how it's not. How things, how a mind is. Our faith is not of ourselves, is it? And and the structure here is pointing that faith is a part of that. That's what's been given. Yes. So, give me a brief rundown of what this whole word of faith means. That, that, that well, that if you have enough faith, faith, you will be given. I mean that, that you generate uh-huh. your own faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that because of what you do, you're causing. You cause it. And there is the aspect of believing God on things. You know, when we go into prayer, you know, we are, you know, He tells us to believe and trust in Him. But I think what we're trying to emphasize is what is that all about? Well, recognizing that this, whatever He gives us, is all something that He is giving us. There's nothing we can work up. And that's where it gets. Really tricky. tricky because well because the the centurion or or um, the maybe it was a tax collector where Jesus said I have found no one with greater faith than is in all of Israel mm-hmm. um, and and so we have to, would it be fair to say that we have to be very careful with faith because the word of faith movement seems to boast on the amount of faith that they have based on either the amount of stuff that they have or the amount of blessings that they have. That that they equate the blessing with their with their amount of faith. And if you have enough you know, I have more faith than you. If somebody didn't get healed, what was the problem? They didn't have enough faith. faith. I don't even think that they would go that far because I think that they know better to, than to use that argument. I think that they, I think that they would use it because I mean, if we see death all the time from people who don't get healed, 
but 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 I think they use it probably use it more in the way of in the way of material blessing than than in the way of, of, of healing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's that other movement that that healing. Oh, it, it can go to the extreme. It yeah, does. It is, yeah, it is the, the fringe of it. But the people, and I'll go ahead and throw out a couple of names. The, the people like like the Joyce Meyer, uh, the Joyce Myers of the world, and the and the, and the Joel Osteens of the world. You know, I, I'm not sure they're gonna. I'm not sure they're going to take that leap into the healing section. I mean, you know, Joyce Myers had breast cancer, and she got surgery. You know, she didn't not... Because she had faith for the money to pay for it. I guess, yeah. You know, but, I mean, she didn't just say, oh, no, God's going to heal me. You know, she didn't do that. But, but at the same time, though, they seem to be leaning more towards the, the sowing the seed and sowing the seed monetarily... Yeah. As opposed to sowing, you know, as opposed, and that and that that generates faith, and it's this vicious circle of, you know, give, get, give, get, give, get, give, get, give, get. Well, yeah, it's a, um, isn't it a faith in your own faith? Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. Well, and they they have the whole wrong concept of what a blessing is. They think that the blessing is getting stopped. But they got that from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the Old Testament saints were blessed. They got by the yeah. blessing and the cursing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But even Job went through so much before he got his extra stuff. Paul didn't get he lost his whole family. And where was the real blessing for Job? Wasn't the real blessing after he lost everything and came was face to face with God? Yeah. I mean, was it really the stuff? Which was the ultimate blessing, and then then he and gave him more that, stuff I mean, again. <laughs> if, even in the Old Testament, when you look at the true blessing that the Israelites, for instance, got, it wasn't the stuff as much as God with them. They recognize people today are the blessing just the way people then did. Well, it's easy to to go that route, and and, and it really sounds good. I remember early in my walk, I had a toothache. And I was watching some late night show. I didn't ordinarily do that, but it was on there. And they were saying, you know, if you'll just only believe that this, this can happen to you. They didn't say toothache, but I said, well, listen, if I only if I only believe that, that's going to go away, and and I'll have uh, actually my tooth needed to be jerked out, is what it was. And I didn't go into to the dentist till a year later. But, I mean, and it was bad. <laughs> but it was mainly because I didn't have much money to do it. Yeah. What does, you know, God can move mountains, you know, in that text that he's dealing with there. But he says, have faith in God. You trust in Him. And it's all. what's the prayer is always qualified? If it be your will. And I have heard some of the faith teachers go as far to say this. Don't ever say that. Because you already know it's God's will that He wants you healthy. And He wants you to have uh, money. He wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And they will say that. And it's not, don't you ever say in God's will. Because he already, you already know that what his will is, and and that has been used many times. So that's a different kind of different kind of faith. 
verse 9. Not of works. So now he comes on to the fourth one here. It's not, not of yourselves here. We see that it's, uh, it's this faith that's granted and this salvation that's granted and grace. Not of works. Or you'd be uh, wanting to boast. All boasted, boasting is totally eliminated in salvation. I mean, we have nothing to boast about except Christ our Lord, this, this wonderful gospel. God alone is the author of salvation. Um, speaking about not of works, you know, we can go to our uh, oh, we could go to our Romans three, three twenty, for instance. You can think of Galatians. You can think all over the New Testament. But just before Paul writes about the righteousness of God in verse 20, he says, Therefore, after he sums it all up and says, We're all condemned, all of mankind. says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Or you can go to chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, but to him, it's talking about justification by faith and using Abraham as an example. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, there's that instrument, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Because it's Christ's righteousness. It's, it's the very faith that's granted to, him, uh, to us. And then he uses David, and he goes to show you that... Um, uh, God forgives our sin, doesn't impute that on us. You can look in Galatians. Look in Romans 3, uh, 3.27. You happen to be in Romans still yet. Where is boasting then? After he's talking about we're justified freely by his grace and that kind of thing. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nope. But by the law of faith. There's our faith. So faith is important. Very important. We conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That's the whole tricky thing, though. It's not any kind of action. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles only. Uh, also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And then he goes on to explain that. But he's saying boasting is excluded. So what was just said positively back in verse 8, he comes in verse 9 and now introduces a negative in showing that um, it's not of works. It's all by grace. It's not by our achievement. And uh, no human effort, no human um, achievement Gospel totally excludes boasting, Paul says here. There's a guy by the name of William Temple, and he put it like this. The only thing of my very own that I can contribute to my redemption, listen to this, the only thing I can contribute, are you ready for this? Is the sin from which I need to be redeemed. <laughs> anyway, not of works, no boasting. Yeah. I found that the centurion? Uh, no, no. The what? faith people go by 3 John 1, verse 2. Beloved, I oh. know that in all respects you may prosper and be in your mm. health. Yeah. That's a good prayer. But, you know, that's where they get it, that, that, that John prayed for those people that they would be healthy and be prosperous and that God wants us to all be healthy and prosperous. And without... And, and of course... 
um, without using other passages they will use than that one verse to explain that. And, and that's a good part. We should have that in prayer. We, we, we want people to do that. But we know in Scripture it's not guaranteed at all, does it? Um, there's so many other passages. You look through the Gospels and you look through the Epistles and whether it be suffering and, and uh, all the way. You don't have to wait too long. <laughs> if it keeps mounting up the way that it's doing, what well, we have a what's the world's growest uh, longest or the biggest growing religion? Pretty well accepted here now. Matter of fact, in in schools in California that I've heard of, or certain places where. They can read the Quran, but they can't read the Bible. I'm sure you guys have heard all this, these different stories. Um, well, that could go on and on. But, yeah, we're, we're feeling a little ripple here and there, or we, or we hear about that little ripple, but we don't really get much here. But, um, you know, we, uh, it's, it's, that part is... The, the visible aspects could be very well on its way. Not that I would desire it. But God might grant that to us, as He says that He grants faith to us, so He also grants suffering. I smile, but I don't envy that kind of thing either. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.17. We, we move into the last verse about God's workmanship. This is the fifth one. For we are His workmanship. Talking about works. Then He comes in and says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were not self-created, were we? When we were created to be the beings that we are physically, same thing happens spiritually. And uh, I think 2 Corinthians 5.17 is something that we all probably have memorized. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're new. We are new. We're a new creation. So Paul establishes one more argument in support of this whole proposition that salvation is a uh, gift uh, from God. And we were created for a reason to do good works. In other words, the good works are the res- is the result. It's not the cause, is it? So this totally turns the tables on the Roman Catholic Church because there's so much into works. That's a works-based salvation. They wouldn't like to say they are, but they really are. That's what they are. You have to do these things. Can I say it's not a cause, is it? No, on the, on the Catholic Church, though, because I, I thought that you had to, you know, be poor and take a vow of poverty and all this stuff. But works in the Catholic Church is more like that sacramentalism that... that yeah, it revolves around those those seven. And that, you know, because I mean, we used to, we were basically brought up that if you went to church on Sunday, you were going to hell. And it, that it was, you had to be there. That it was, you know, and then there were these holy days of obligation. Yep. It's still here. You know. Those are mortal sins. Yeah, they, they graded everything. Not So God takes an unbeliever 
He creates life out of somebody who was dead spiritually. And He saves us to be good. It's not that He saved us because we were good, right? That's not the point at all. But that's how any other kind of works-based salvation is about. Uh, You're saved because you are good. Here He saves us so that we can be good, that we will be good. Uh, We had nothing to offer. And so therefore, again, He's making His point. For all the good works that we possess, it's the fruit of regeneration, being reborn. Would you say that the works that we do are all a part of grace? Look at Titus 3.8. Pastoral letter. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. God is the one who puts the works in us. He has already ordained that long before we were born. And we are to maintain it. We don't establish it. We don't create those good works. We don't come up with them on our own. But we are to maintain those. It's like we are to maintain uh, the unity in the fellowship of the church. And I think that's found in uh, Philippians. We are to maintain that. We are to be as one. But we can wreck that unity. I mean, we still have unity. Christians are in union with each other. But yet, we are still commanded to maintain it. He gives us the power, the energy, everything we need to do that with, but yet we are to do the effort. Just as He works in us, we are to work it out. I think that's a proper view of of sanctification. Uh, I think it's interesting that the works that we have were preordained by God. The good works were prepared by God. The things that you do, sometimes you don't even know what you're doing, but you just do it. It's part of your gift, and uh, you know you might be blessing others in some way. But in our own strength, we, we can't lead a holy life. We know that. But the hand of God is in there working in our lives. And it's the why we have the desire to do things uh, in, in the body of Christ. Uh, if, if the grace of God came before our performances, which it does, all the boasting is taken away, isn't it? Because He put the works in us to do. He even gave those to us. God owes us nothing. <laughs> but God, I did this for you. Oh, you <laughs> but <laughs> but he would say, but I gave that to you. Maybe. Good works were drawn. He has treasuries. He <laughs> Long before we were here. Those treasuries which uh, it's all laid up in there and that he has uh, those works or preordained for us to do. Is that incredible to think about? John Calvin says this. I'm getting ready to close it up here. After saying all this, this is out of his commentary, what remains now for free will? If all the good works which proceed from us are acknowledged to have been the gifts of the Spirit of God, he does not say we are assisted by God, He does not say that the will is prepared and then is left to run on its own strength. 
He does not say the power of choosing a right is bestowed upon us and that we are afterwards left to make our own choice. See, Calvin battled this whole thing too, just like we do today. We're not alone. It's always been here, folks. Such is the idle talk. I like what he worded here. Such is the idle talk in which those persons who do their utmost to undervalue the grace of God are accustomed to indulge. Charles Wesley, a famous Arminian who wrote literally thousands of fantastic hymns, and you look in any really good hymn book, and it'll be dominated by Charles Wesley hymns. They are super. They are about the sovereignty of God, about the grace of God. Just read the verses and you go, wow, this guy was a Calvinist. Well, in his prayers and in his writing, he was. But he couldn't bring himself to say that it was all God. But look at one of these hymns called And Can It Be. Have you ever heard of this one, Janice? Aha, uh-huh. Audrey's heard of it. Even I've heard of it. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, can you sing it? <laughs> Audrey's not going to do it? Audrey and Bill do that? Well, here's, here's, here's a few lines. Look at this. And they're right on. Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Do you remember that line? My imprisoned spirit, my bondage lay. Fast bound in sin and nature's night. Now, Ligon Duncan was making a comment on that. He says, what's he talking about? He's talking about being dead and trespasses and sins. And what does he say? And then I freed myself. No, <laughs> that's not what it says. What does he say? Thine eye. That's the next line. Who's he talking to when he says thine eye? He's talking to God, right? Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. He shows that God is the one... After, and is the one that brought him out of that in that sin and that nature and that imprisoned bondage state. And it was that quickening ray for that to happen. Charles Wesley, an Arminian, who's really a Calvinist and can't admit it. You've, you've read many of his songs, I'm sure, and you're just blown away and say, how could this guy be an Arminian? It's stubbornness. He doesn't want to give over to the fact that God did it all. Right here, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Anyway, we talk about this stuff all the time, and I was wondering how we're going to do this and try to make it refreshing. (laughs) I still battle at it, but it's like, this is a fresh section. Let God speak in His Scripture here, and maybe those words will stick out, because it's it's He that makes the impact. And uh, I, I tell you, I had I I really struggled. I was looking, I was reaching out for somebody to say something, really something maybe different in a way that. And you know what? They all said the same thing. <laughs> it's what we've been talking about for years. But sometimes they have some insights that are that are helpful, or different ways of saying it. But you can say, "Oh, I already knew that." Say by grace. Well, of course, any Christian ought to know that. Anyway, thank you guys for helping to share a, uh, I think, an awesome section there, regardless of how uh, quick we went through it. We went through three verses tonight.